Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. A series or something along those, those lines. Amen. Can everybody say amen? Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand this morning. Amen. Yeah, shake their hand. Tell them how glad you are to see them. Glad that they're at church. Glad that they're not sick. And just wonderful, 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 wonderful. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of the Lord. In Proverbs, there is a verse that says, there is a friend. Sticks closer than a brother. And most people believe that verse is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, I have, if you want to call it guilty, I've been guilty of saying it. Perhaps you have even heard it yourself. And that is, then people say Jesus is a friend that stick closer than a brother. And though that may truly be the case, and I believe that is the case, the reference that the Scripture has given us in Proverbs, there are, though, according to the Scriptures, only a few places in the Bible that I am aware that Jesus actually ever called someone his friend. James tells us in the book of James that Abraham was called or labeled the friend of God, but not necessarily by God himself. Bible tells us also and you know this morning that as a result of Abraham being labeled the friend of God we have the song that we sing around here I am a friend of God John the Baptist in his ministry related to the Lord Jesus Christ and told the people that my relationship with Jesus is kind of like this I'm as the friend to the bridegroom him speaking of Jesus Christ being the bridegroom and John himself being the friend he says I am a friend to the bridegroom Jesus even said that some of the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers had labeled him, had put a label upon him that he was a friend to the publicans or the tax collectors and the sinners. And and God, even in the Old Testament scripture of the book of Isaiah, had grouped the whole nation of Israel. He said, Israel is a friend. He put them in the category, Israel is a friend of mine. When we talk about friendships and we talk about friends, there is one thing that is absolute, that no one wants to be caught in that odd position or odd scenario where they consider someone a friend, but that person doesn't particularly label them a friend as well. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. That is, you thought somebody was your friend, but they didn't have the same feelings or thoughts towards you. And a very odd, peculiar scenario to be in. Yeah, this is my pal. And, and they're thinking they're gritting their teeth. <laughs> I'm glad that they think that. God bless them. And you hate to be caught in that type of scenario. As a matter of fact, we live in a generation where all the time keeping tabs on our friends. We live in a generation with our smartphones and all of our smart devices that sometimes we may, may be flooded with friend requests from the ever-popular Facebook And our hopes, though, in real life, and I hope yours is this. Please don't be taken by it. I I hope that our hopes in real life, though, is that our friendships will go a little deeper than that. Uh, Meaningful meaningful, uh, uh, friendships should surpass a notification about John Doe that wished to be my friend on Facebook or the fact that he and I share 52 other friends together. (laughs) 
In the scripture, there are, though, according to my understanding, only two people that I'm certain of that Jesus ever called friend with his own mouth. That was Judas and Lazarus. To Judas, he said, friend, wherefore art thou come? And concerning Lazarus, he spoke to his disciples and said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Scattered throughout the scriptures, there are different marks of friendships. What categorizes or characterizes, rather, friendships in scripture can be found. The benefits, if you will, of having a friend or friendships, they're marked in the pages of our Bibles. One such place where it's beneficial to have somebody else or have a friend, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, that may be familiar to some, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. So we see a benefit of not being alone or having a friendship in this type of scenario, having someone to lift you up. As a matter of fact, some of the top traits uh, that people list as expectations of what they expect from their friends or expect from friendship is that they expect that their friends will be trustworthy, that they can trust their friend, that they would have a honest friendship or they could find honesty in the person that is their friend, that their friend will be loyal to them or that they would listen to them when they need that or that that friend could talk to them and feel as though they could talk or that their friend would know when to be silent. I mean, that's a great trait to have in a friend, to know when not to say anything, when just to be silent or that a friend would be somebody that would just be there. Amen. Nothing else. Don't have, to, don't have to give, take anything else, just be there. And so those are some common qualities of friendship that were expected of, of people in today's society that they would have a friend. That's what they would hope they could find. And so with that being the case, one would expect, at least I would think, one would expect that you could even find those qualities to a greater degree or even more if you are accounting the Lord Jesus Christ as your friend. Yet the Bible tells us in John chapter number 11, it tells us of a story of Jesus and his interaction with three of his friends, as it were, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. As a matter of fact, contained in John chapter number 11 is the shortest verse of the Bible that is found where Jesus wept, the Bible says, yet the only time that we see him weeping is found here in John 11, and it is concerning an individual that he loved, an individual that he already told his disciples was their friend. He was weeping because he loved Lazarus with such intensity, the Bible says. The Jews, when they seen him weeping, they even just shouted out, behold, how he loved him. He had a love and an affection for Lazarus with great intensity. He loved him. He was his friend. Jesus was no stranger to Mary, no stranger to Martha, no stranger to Lazarus. All times Jesus visited Jerusalem 
and Bethany just being a couple miles from Jerusalem, it was at Bethany that Jesus oft times stayed overnight at whenever he visited Jerusalem. Oft times whenever he was there, we see that he would visit Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had shared a many meal perhaps at their house and at their table on more than one occasion they had on many occasions invited him into their home to be their guest and so that denotes a little bit how precious the Lord was to them but also how precious they were to him as well and to just imprint that a little bit more how much a friend they were to each other the second verse of John 11 tells us in just parentheses there that this Mary that was the friend of the Lord is the very Mary that had come in one time and anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Just speaking of the loyalty and the honesty and the friendship, the, 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 the act of service that she was bestowing upon the Lord. It is in John 11 that Mary and Martha has sent a messenger to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not presently at Bethany, but he is away from that town. Mary and Martha have a situation that is on their hands. Jesus is at Beth Arba over where John did his baptizing, but they send a messenger, and this is their message. Jesus, we want to tell you something. The individual, the man that you love, Lazarus, your friend, he is very, very sick. This man that is your friend is sick. Now, our expectation with what we have learned thus far is this. An expectation of a friend whenever you learn that they are sick is that you're going to do whatever you can do to help. I mean, under normal circumstances, a trusted good old friend, they're going to, when they hear news that their friend is sick, they're, they're going to promptly leave whatever they're doing. They're, they're just going to lay it all aside. They're, they're going to get to a phone or even go to the house and check on their friend and see everything is all right. If nothing else, surely, surely just for emotional support to be there. If there's some type of sickness that has come upon their body or a diagnosis that they've been given. And so that's what we would expect would happen. But that's not what happened in scripture yet the Bible says Jesus loved him and that he was his friend the Bible tells us that when Jesus heard his friend was sick and this is amazing to me when he heard that his friend was sick that he stayed where he was for two more days someone say amen the Bible says it very plainly in the scripture of verse six. It says, when he heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. But I love this man. He's my friend. He's my, he's, he's, he's my comrade. I've stayed in his house. I've ate at his table. He's sick right now. He's a good old friend. I'm just gonna stay here two more days. Now the trial of many of our friendships would have been out the door at the moment that the dear one that we fed at our table and had around our house and chummed up with, all of a sudden they learned something's wrong with us and they say, you know what? I think I'll stay right here for two more days. Yet that's what Jesus did. He stayed right there for two more days. As a matter of fact, as the scriptures will go, he continued there for a while. And as he stayed a couple more days, he told his disciples, he said, boys, I think I'm going to go over into the, the region of Judea now. I think I'm going to go over to Lazarus' house because he's there and he's sick. And for that matter, he sleepeth by now. He, he's sleeping. The disciples thought, Lord, what are you sleeping? Well, we just need to go there and wake him up then. And he got very, he, they weren't catching what he was saying. 
man. And so he got a little bit more for it. He said, boys, he said it very plainly. He said, Lazarus is dead. He says in verse 14. He gets very plain with them. Boys, Lazarus is dead. Now consider here for a moment. He was sick. His friend was. The one he loved was sick. He waits two days. Now he's leaving. And at the point of him leaving, being God in the flesh, he has an understanding. Now he's went beyond the area of being sick to being dead. If I was a disciple on the peripheral, I'd start scratching my head in wonderment about our friendship with the Lord. We know that whenever he was first told this guy was sick, now two days later he's leaving want to go check on him and he's telling us he's dead. And he says he's dead. And then furthermore, he says in the next verse, in verse 15 of John 11, here's what he says. And he says, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Wow. He says, he's my friend. I love him very deeply. We've shared a lot of times together. But I'm here to tell you, I'm glad I wasn't there when he died. What a friend that we have right here. He said, I was glad he was not there when he died. Look now, here's the reason to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now, there's something interesting when the Lord finally shows up there at Bethany. The Bible says that Lazarus has been dead four days. He's been, he's been sick longer than that, but he's been dead four days. He surely stinked that the Bible says. When Jesus arrives, he is first approached by Martha, which is another one of his friends, one of those that he said that he loved in the scripture. And the Bible says whenever Martha came to him, she basically told him, Lord, had you been here, our brother would not have died. A little later, Mary comes out to meet the Lord, the one that he loves also, the one who is his friend also. And Mary talks to the Lord and says, Lord, she just has the same sentiments of Martha. She says, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would still be alive. Our brother would not have died. And so we have the Lord choosing a proper time to show up for his friends in this dilemma to the intent that his disciples and anybody else that may take in the scenario may believe. And he goes to them at the proper time. The proper time wasn't when Lazarus was just sick. The proper time for the Lord is when Lazarus was already dead. There was something that the Lord wanted to generate perhaps that could not be generated at any other time. There might be a certain level of belief that could be accomplished by healing a body. But God says, I wonder what could be accomplished if I could raise a man from the dead. Everybody doing all right? Yeah. So say amen. amen. And so there's a proper time here. He waited at a proper time. Because see, there are in those days as there are in our days, there were people that were astrologers, there were people that were soothsayers, there were people that were, if you will, the palm readers, the tarot card gatherers, the people that did all these different types of sorceries, even that we read of Simon in Acts chapter number eight. There were people, if you will, that could fabricate Amen, a, a healing that, that could materialize and, and duplicate, if you will, some type of false appearance of, of some miracle or something that had been done. But 
Jesus wanted to take it to a level where it would be something they couldn't necessarily fabricate. With this understanding today, I go to the Old Testament. And it is in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter number 8 in particular that we read about that Moses is there. He's going to be the deliverer for God's people. He is going to be the man that is going to be heading this deliverance out of Egypt. And God did not send him back to Egypt without tools. He did not send him back to Egypt without what was necessary in order to do what was needed. And he said, Moses, when you go there, take your rod. Let that rod be thrown on the ground. It'll become a serpent and pick your rod back up. That'll be a sign that God is with you. Whenever you go, put your hand into your bosom. And whenever you bring it out, it'll be leprous and white as snow. Place it back into your bosom. Bring it out and it'll be clean. And that will be a token that God is with you. They come before the presence of Pharaoh to let God's people go is the proclamation and the plea. Moses and Aaron and there, they have the rod and they throw it down on the ground. The Bible says it becomes a serpent, but the scripture tells us that the magicians of Pharaoh's court come alongside them as well. And those magicians with their enchantments, the Bible says, throw their rods on the ground and they become a snake as well. And then Aaron's, that is, swallowed up all of theirs. But the key factor is this, they could fabricate they could reduplicate what Moses and Aaron had just done with the rod. They come to the first plague that is brought upon Egypt. And the Bible says the water is turned to blood by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The water is turned to blood. But once again, there's the magicians. There's the sorcerers that they too turn water into blood. It could be duplicated. It could be fabricated all over again by the power of Pharaoh. They went then to the next plague of frogs coming upon the land, hopping into the ovens and the kneading troughs just totally all over the place, going to bed with frogs, sleeping with frogs, eating with frogs. But the Bible says that the magicians and those with their enchantments came forward and they were likewise able to bring, and I'm sure that's just what Egypt wanted at that time, more frogs. Prove a point, bring more frogs upon us. But more frogs came up on the land and they were able to do just like those before them, materialize it, reduplicate it over and over again. But whenever it came to the plague of lice, the Bible states this in Exodus 8 and verse 18. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man, upon beasts, and the Bible says in verse 19, then the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not to them as the Lord had said. In other words, there was something along this journey. Whether it was a rod turning into a snake, water turning into blood, frogs coming upon the land, that all the powers of the land could duplicate what had already been done. They could mimic, they could mock, they could, if you will, fabricate what had already been done. But somewhere along the spectrum of the plagues, there came a moment, there came a time that whenever God did a deed and God did an act through his servants, they say, this is where we cannot go any further. We cannot fabricate this. We cannot duplicate this. We cannot mimic this. We make one proclamation and that is this. This is undoubtedly the finger of God. 
Someone say amen. I want to talk to you a little while about the finger of God because I believe in our society today and even in the society of the church is this, that there are a lot of things in the life of the church that a lot of other churches can mimic. There's a lot of things in the life of the church. A lot of things can be, if you will, duplicated and done just like the church of the living God. There are people that can sing just as well as this church can sing. There's musicians that are just as well as this church is. There are, if you will, other things taking place, praying that goes on in churches that's just as good as this church. But God is gonna bring us to a place, amen, where every person that duplicated, every person that, if you will, that fabricated, everything seemingly what God has done there will come a moment there will come a time God says so that they might believe that they're going to step back and say we can't go any further than this we can't do this because this is undoubtedly the power the authority and the finger of the almighty God What we need in today's world, what we need today is the church is not something that can be mimicked, not something that can be fabricated after, not something that can be devised as a counterfeit. We need the finger of God in our lives. We need the finger of God in our churches when they stand back and say, we can't touch this. We can't see. We cannot of a similar manner construe that. That is the finger of God. Jesus says, you say Lazarus is sick, that's well, but I'm not going today. I'm not leaving right now because on the spectrum of things, there may be some soothsayer that might be able to sustain his life. Amen, and that would be no big deal because somebody out there can probably mimic what is being done for sustaining his life, but I'm gonna wait till he's dead. I'm gonna wait till there's no life yet in him. I'm gonna wait till all hope is gone, and then I'm gonna show up, and whenever I do my deed, you know what? they're going to be saying listen this is not some power of the world this is not some fabrication this is the finger that's right with great reason he didn't roll away the own stone of Lazarus he let those people roll it away why because it would have been no great thing for him to roll away the stone because they had the ability to roll away the stone he says but I'll start doing where you can't I'll I'll continue on where you cannot you might be able to turn water into blood you might be able to have a rod become a serpent you might be able to have frogs come upon that but I'm going to go always a step further than what you can I'm going to go a step What are you talking about? I'm telling you about the finger of God. The finger of God shows up whenever the appointment with the doctor is there and they say, we've done everything we could do and all of a sudden the tables are turned, the circumstances turned around and they look at you and say, I can't explain this. I can't tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what it is. It's the finger of God. It's the finger of God. Someone say amen. Finger of God. They could not, but this is the finger of God. If I may, there is a place where God operates, where 
if I may borrow a term, he has some proprietary rights. If I state it like this, or for example, to grant a little understanding of what I'm talking about, in society today, they have, they have a running, they have a running, uh, you want to call it a season or episode or whatever it is, they have a show called Shark Tank where they have people come in that are entrepreneurs and people that have inventions and try to better the life of the public through what they have generated and made. And before them are usually several, five or so uh, people that they call sharks that are business men and women that have been very successful in their life. Many of them come from nothing but have built companies and helped propagate ideas and, and they're willing to invest their money in a person's invention or their uh, uh, idea. And a lot of times the things that are discussed there, number one, of course, for them is how much they're estimating their company at how much money that they're wanting to get, how much they're estimating their company at, or if they're going to get any royalties off of what they have. But a question that usually always comes up in the, in the mode of deciding whether or not they're going to invest in somebody's idea or invention is this, is do you have any proprietary rights? And proprietary rights is this. I mean, is there anything about this invention or this product that you have that is only and can only belong and be controlled by you do you have anything of this manufactured good that only you as the owner of it you own the brand or you own the formula or you own the name or you own the trademark in other words do you have something that's marketable enough that somebody else can't fabricate the same thing Mimic what you already have going here and take the business out from under our feet. We want to know, do you have any ownership in this that nobody else can claim as theirs? In the scripture, frogs, blood to water, healing just even sometimes of the sick. But God says, I'm going to take you to a place. I got proprietary rights. Nobody can do what I'm doing. Nobody can operate like I'm operating right here in this moment. I got some ownership. I got a brand name here. I got a patent and an edge on what I'm doing right now. I got a trademark. There's nobody else can duplicate. And whenever you get to that place, they say, hey, there's nothing we can do. That's the finger. That's the power. That's the hand. That's the arm, if you will, of God. Someone say amen. feel like this past week said something lay up on my spirit, Bishop. Whether it's 100% true or not, I don't know, but I just I'll say it as I felt it. Because Jesus said, I'm going to wait till he's dead that you might believe. He brought the children of Israel to a place everybody could reduplicate everything until it was the finger of God, and from that moment forward, there was no reduplication of any of the plagues, nothing, because it was the finger, it was the power and the essence of God. And what I started to learn from the Scripture is this, that many times when the finger of God showed up and did his, his demonstration and did his power thing, uh, 
when we talk about the finger of God and other places in Scripture, uh, there are things that are spoken of as the fingers of God and the arm of God and the hand of God. And God is a spirit that has no literal arm or literal hand or literal fingers, so to speak. But all of those are just basically speaking to you and I about the activity or the power of God. David, whenever he was thinking about the Lord, he said, whenever I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers... The work of your fingers, talking about what God had created and what God had made in the heavenlies. He talked about how he was just overwhelmed by the work of the fingers of God. And whenever we consider the fingers of God, whenever God did a demonstration that could not be duplicated, so to speak, that could not be manufactured by another or a source in the earthly, the Bible says whenever that took place, that there would be groupings of people that would come about from all areas and there would be a crowd that would be drawn. The Bible tells us whenever the lame man was healed of his lameness at the gate called Beautiful with, with, with Peter and John that went there, that whenever they had done that thing, that there was a grouping of people that gathered around, a crowd that gathered around what had happened. And the Bible tells us that, that whenever that happened, that Peter changed gears. He changed gears now from, from being an instrument, if you will, of the healing of the man and he started to preach to the people about how they can be cleansed from their sins and how they can experience the presence of the Lord. That the finger of God wasn't just for the sake of clamoring around some deed that couldn't be done, but it was for the purpose of getting the belief of people to lead them to a cross. Lead them to salvation. Amen. And many times you, 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 you see that this happens over and over again. The Lord, the Lord does something that's the finger of God. And as a result of it, people are like, wow. And the reason why there's the wow factor and the belief factor is because they've not seen that done anywhere else. We've never seen that at the Judean synagogue. You get it? We never seen that. The Bible even says that some of them said, what, what manner of man is this that, that some of these things that he does, he does because they never seen it. There's not been anything fabricated like that. Not been anything, they couldn't mimic that. And so this is the finger of God. And where that happens, belief happens. And it gathers a crowd around. And then Peter and the disciples then always took opportunity then to preach Jesus unto the people. They didn't start a healing ministry. That's right. They didn't set up a servant and say, come, we're going to have signs, miracles, and wonders, and you can go home in Jesus' name and not preach the word. No, no, no. They didn't start a healing ministry. But what they did is used it as a catapult in order to preach Jesus to the people concerning their salvation whenever the finger of God came into play. Someone say amen. amen. And so since that's the case, and Bishop, I may be way in left field, but I felt like this week the Lord was dealing with me a little bit concerning all this. And I want to talk to us as a church because I don't know if it's this time of year or all time of year that I constantly heard it said, and I, I probably addressed this to a certain degree before, but always hear it said. You know, we're just always in bishops sometimes saying, I know he says it in, in the purity of what he's being said, but, but sometimes I believe it's a load then that we just take on our shoulder. You know what? We're, we're just, we just got, we got a lot of sickness. A lot of people sick. A lot of people disease, a lot of people being diagnosed with this or with that or the other. And quite frankly, it just gets kind of get, gets old to me, gets old to me. And I felt like God was prompting my spirit just a little bit this week 
And if you'll just walk with me just here a little bit, it's just sick. You know, it just seems like a sick church. And you get a, almost a stigma from that. You're a sick church. Man, you, you're sick. You're going to be sick. It's wintertime. You're going to be sick. You're just going to be sick. You're going to be diseased. You're probably going to get some incurable illness you can't get rid of. You might die in three months. I, you, it's just, just the type of stigma that comes with all of that stuff. We, we got more people with diabetes per capita in this church than they do in the church next over. And you know, just got all of this stuff upon but whenever I think about that, right. it sets us up for the finger of God. It sets us up for the finger of God. Because if God would come down, and they say, man, they're always sick. If God would come down and put his finger on it, yes. and the sick would be made whole, yes. and the disease would be clear of their disease, and if the diabetic would be healed. Now, Brother McGee, you're way out there. Sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That never happened in the Bible. What I'm saying is, we live in a dismal world. There's a lot of churchy things that are being fabricated. A lot of churchy things that are being mimicked. But if God's finger... Would it come down in this place of sickness and disease and diagnosis and heal and set free? What would happen is this. It would draw a crowd because they're going to say, that's not happening over there. That's not happening over there. We've not seen it on this fashion, but that's not for us to change our name and say healing ministries at the 1121 Cedar Street. What that means is, is whenever he would get their belief, God said, I waited till he was dead so that they would believe. And whenever they get there, I'm gonna talk to them about the death and the burial and the resurrection. I'm gonna talk to them about salvation. I'm gonna talk about how their sins can be forgiven. If I can... What are you saying then today, Pastor? I'm saying we're a great candidate for the finger of God. I'm saying we're a great. Please don't get mealy mouth over what may be happening in your life. We just might be a great candidate for the finger of God. Someone say amen. amen. Hallelujah. And with that being said, here's the thing. I want to stretch your faith a little bit today. I want to help stretch your faith a little bit here today. Not in every episode, but in many episodes. I'm trying to stretch your faith. In many episodes. Are you listening to me? Where the disease was healed, the crippled was healed, whatever has took place. Listen to Pastor right now. This is very important. You know what God often asked and required of them? He asked them to do something that they could not normally do because of their condition. The man at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, who talks about he had no man when the water was troubled to get into the water, Christ looks at him and says, take up your bed and walk. He can't do that. But he's asking him to do something that he otherwise couldn't do because of his condition. And when, listen to me, and when the man, can I say it like, when the man attempted to do what he otherwise could not do and had not been able to do for 38 years, when he attempted the finger of God. 
the man that comes and within the folds of his garment is a crippled arm. Jesus approaches him and he says, stretch forth thy hand. 2015 is, I can't, don't you know my condition? The Bible isn't real elaborate on how, how the old process takes place, but he stretched forth his hand. It just sums it up in those words. But my mind, I don't know how it was. I don't know what kind of... St- but whenever his attempt and faith connected with God's finger, and his faith connected with God's finger, it was... If we're all sick and diseased around here, we're great candidates for the finger of God. But we're going to have to exercise from faith, which means you were maybe asked to do by God something you would otherwise not be able to do because of your condition. See, that works, that works hard against our humanity. I can't pray. I got a bad back. Get down and pray. Get down and pray. Let me tell you, last year I felt like I lost a year of my life. Come find out it was medication. There were times I was standing up here preaching and I felt like I was having a heart attack. And I know many of you noticed I kept rubbing this area over here many times. Hey, it was, I couldn't just sit down and say, well, let's just be dismissed. You just got to keep on doing. Now, I'm not asking you all to be stupid. But I'm asking you if God would say, how about you do something you otherwise you say you can't do? You might just step on out into that area and whenever you start making the attempt and exercise your faith, just look and see if God's finger comes down and says, wait a minute, I'm gonna change the whole rest of this story. And people will stand back and say, that can't be fabricated. That by no means can be duplicated. That is the finger of God. And when that happens, let me tell you, you will have to come early to get a seat in this church because people are going to say, we never seen that happen in Mount Carmel before. We never heard it like, like that in Mount Carmel before. But it's not here to pat anybody on the back. It's here to glorify God. It's here then to use that to point people where their sins can be washed and made whiter than snow. Because God has proprietary rights. What do you mean? I mean this. We ain't patty cake all we want for Jesus. There's other churches that patty cake. I'm serious. They're looking for something that denotes the difference. If you'll notice in Exodus, after it was the rod and after it was the blood and after it was the frogs and it came to the lice and the Bible says, they said, that's the finger of God. We can't not do that. The magicians with their enchantments, we cannot reduplicate that. That's the finger of God. You look at the very next plague and the Bible says it is at that moment that God made a distinction and division between the people that were in Goshen and those that were in Egypt. Hey! Because all along the way, everything that was happening could have been duplicated. All along the way, everything that was going on could have been mimicked. But when it reached the spot that they said, this is no other but the finger of God, he says, now I show you a separation between what's mine and who's yours. 
I don't want the voice to be that they come here and they leave here and say, well, that's just the same as everybody else or every other place. No, 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 no. I want them to know whenever they left the first apostolic church, there's something there that I've never heard. I've never experienced. I've never seen. There's a finger of God right down there in that place. Someone say amen. amen. It's the finger. It's the finger of God. Okay. I'm supposed to be keeping track of my time here. So, uh, we're, I'm, please, don't miss I'm not trying, I'm not being insensitive today. But if we're as sick, diseased, and crippled as we say we are, then we're awesome candidates. But the issue will be we'll have to learn to exercise faith to do what we say we can't do. Again, because many, not most, but many of the miracles was because of when faith was exercised to do what they could not otherwise do. Someone say amen. Case in point. Tell the story again. Of Acts 8 of Simon and the sorcerer and bewitched the people and deceived them with his sorceries. Two disciples come down. People's been baptized. They start laying hands on people and they start receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Another one of those reasons why I believe Simon desired to buy it is because he couldn't duplicate it. He's a sorcerer. He knows how to do these neat, finagled things. Mimic, counterfeit. Why, did, why is he desiring to buy it? Because he was like, I can't do that. That's something, I don't have any proprietary rights there. Somebody else owns that. They got the trademark. That's the finger of God. If you'll stand with me, I'll, I'll be still. Stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's his power. It's the work of his fingers. The work of his hands. There are, and I'll try to sum some of this up in closing perhaps here today. Bible tells us in one place where the people of the New Testament scripture came to Jesus and said, said, Sir, we know, we know that you're a teacher, we know that you're a rabbi, and we know that you are come from God. They basically said. Because they said, No man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. They almost got it totally right. God wasn't just with him. God was in him. 
got a little time? Stand, you right, just a little. <laughs> got a problem? Stand and stand. Exercise your faith. <clears throat> the Bible says, Old Testament. Whenever Isaiah was speaking to the people, he's saying, he's saying to those that were of fearful hearts, Isaiah 35 and 4, he said, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Who would come? Their God. Then eyes of the blind shall be opened. Your God's coming with vengeance. Eyes of the eye, but eyes of the blind, ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap as a heart. The tongue of the dumb shall sing. Your God is coming with vengeance. So some of the signs of the vengeance of their God are these things would be manifested. These finger of God moments. Baby born in Bethlehem. Nothing seemingly important happened in the early years. Nothing going on. But if we read a little further in the scripture, when Jesus would go to the synagogue and he would read how he's come to preach gospel to the poor and he, he quotes Isaiah and how he, it would be setting the captive free and all these things in the day is the scripture fulfilled in your years. And we start looking then through the gospels and we see the deaf are hearing. The lame are walking. That was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Isaiah said, you'll know your God comes whenever you see these things happening. They saw them happening, but they were through the man of Christ Jesus. And so they got to reconcile something in this moment. This is either some other God or this is the God that Isaiah spoke of because he's doing what Isaiah said that God would do. You know what they were? They were the finger of God moments that Christ was doing in so much that whenever he would speak later to John the Baptist's disciples when John was getting down for are you the one or should we go look for another he says you go tell the people and tell John for that matter you tell him what you've seen and what you heard and you tell him particularly these things this is what you need to tell John you tell him that the blind see and that the lame walk and that lepers are cleansed and that the deaf hear and the dead are raised you tell, you tell John that what you've witnessed is the finger of God. Oh, that can't be duplicated. That cannot, that cannot be reenacted. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads all across this place. Amen this morning. Hallelujah. We're great candidates in this day for the finger of God. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is me, he said, you just believe me for the very work's sake. What? Believe me for what? The finger of God moments that I got in a life. Ladies and gentlemen, all across this place, you're sick, you're diseased, you got prognosis, diagnosis, and all the other gnosis along with it. God might be pulling on your heartstring today or in this season requiring of you to try to do what you otherwise say that you can't do or that your disease or your sickness has made you incapable of doing. And it could very well be in your act of attempting that God's faith, your faith rather in God's finger will meet. And he'll do a work that will cause all to believe. He'll, cause, he'll do a work that will cause those that know you and are connected to you to wag their head and say, I tell you what, this is nothing but the finger of God. How long will he wait? How long will he wait, Brother McGee? I don't know. He waited till he waited till Lazarus was in a very deplorable state. His sickness had got to as bad as it could be. And then he showed up just so that they might believe and know, boom, that's the finger. That's the finger of God. I guarantee you this, if he does it, 
It's going to cause a gathering of people from your family and of your friends. And when they get here, what we're going to do collectively as a group of people is this. We're going to point them to Jesus. We're going to point them to Jesus. And we're going to say the same God that healed them is the same God that can cleanse your soul. The same God that set them free of their sickness is the same God that can set you free of your sin. It's the finger of God. He has proprietary rights. It's his trademark, his ownership. It's his. Hallelujah. These altars are open. If anybody would like to find a place to pray, if you're sick or Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.